Doug, you know how I'm always uh, saying that I'm going to live forever, right? That, that's my, yep. one of my live goals. Live to be for eternity, yeah. Yeah, and because my my logic recently has been that if you can make it to, uh, you know, 80 or 90, by that point, surely they will have they will have the technology that will get us to, to 200 or 300. And then if you can get there, then, I mean, within just a few years after you're, you know, you're 100 or 150, they're going to have us getting to be 1,000. And then, then, then you don't have to worry about death anymore. <laughs> so... With that in mind, I mean, do you think it's fair for me to say that that the that the supplement that I invented helps you live for eternity? <laughs> Is that, would the FDA you think approve that statement? I mean, I, we probably shouldn't make that claim. <laughs> Maybe we won't make that claim. But the point is, you got to get far enough to uh, you want to be healthy for the long term, so that you have that chance, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that is that's one of the reasons why. I invented and co-founded a company that makes uh, this this product called Complement. So, a plant-based diet is a wonderful. No, no, at least you won't find any uh, arguments against that from me. Uh, however, I think if we are smart and honest and looking at the evidence, then there are things that are missing from that diet uh, on its own that don't you know make it as good as it could be for living as long as you can and staying healthy. Uh, the ones that most people know about are B12, vitamin D, and DHA and EPA. Uh, which, by the way, are two omega-3 fatty acids. And besides that, there are a few little minerals and things like that. Uh, iodine, zinc, selenium, vitamin K2, uh, those come to mind. As things that vegans probably should be supplementing with, I don't want to say that all should, but people like me who think about this stuff a lot um, often do the research and land on, you know, come to the conclusion that we should be supplementing with those things. So that is um, what, you know, where Complement Plus came from. Uh, it's a, an, a vegan capsule that includes all of those things and doesn't include anything else because, Doug, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of taking multivitamins. We get all this good stuff from our food. Uh, so why would we want to be getting, you know, more vitamin C in our diet than nature really intended for us? So it's those things without all the stuff that you don't need, uh, all in one pill, convenient. And what's great about it is that you can get all that protection for just around a dollar a day. You can get all the details and decide if Compliment Plus is right for you at nomidathlete.com slash smarter. That's nomidathlete.com slash smarter. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Athlete Radio. Happy New Year's, Matt. Happy New Year to you, Doug. Are you a Happy New Year's guy? Is that what you... Is that... Is that what you say? Happy New Year, years. Yeah, I think I, I think years. I think people do both. You're a yeah, years guy. One correct? I don't even know. I think Happy New Year is what you're wishing happy someone. New year, but right. then, but uh, when I think of New Year's, I think of New Year's Eve. I guess you could call it New Year's Day, New Year's. New Year's Day, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? And does it have an apostrophe or does it not? I think it does. it always does. Yeah, my, you, I learned that this year from you, actually. I don't know if it's right, but every time I've written it, I always look it up and. It appears that you do put an apostrophe there, but maybe someone can correct us. Well, uh, well, you've you've corrected me a couple times <laughs> <laughs> writing some things for Nomad Athletes. So. <laughs> right. uh, well, yeah, no, Happy New Year's and welcome, welcome back. Um, I'm glad we're we're back on the podcast, and I'm glad you're back back to North Carolina. Me too. It's fun to be back. We had a great trip to Spain with the kids. We did uh, did La Navidad in Spain, and that was enjoyable and a little different. We got some different different traditions and things like that, so that was nice. And uh, Got home, spent a few days with the family in Maryland, and then came home on New Year's Day. And actually, my, as much as I love New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, 
I was in bed by I was in bed by nine p.m. on New Year's Eve because mm. I was in on Spain time still. It was it was right. three a.m. for me. I didn't right. have any chance. I didn't even make an attempt to stay up. I just said nope. I'm going to bed. Well, so I'm 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 really curious to know how did how did it feel to be out of the country for for Christmas? It, I, it was it was not that weird, honestly. We did a little Christmas here, as I talked about on the podcast. I think right. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a little off. I mean, it just felt like the timing was off. Like we we did, we had a very short Christmas season, and then we then we went to Spain. And and it is like it's a little bit lower key there. I think their apparently their big day is January sixth when they put all their shoes out and whoever comes fills them up. Mm. Uh, and there was like all these little gag gifts, and that happens on the twenty eighth, like little like fart sprays and uh, <laughs> and spray cacas, which we bought for the kids and. Okay. All that good stuff. So it was just it was just different traditions. It honestly didn't feel that weird. It was fun and different, and we loved it. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, hopefully we can grab a grab a beer sometime, and you can tell me some of the stories. That that would be perfect. How about you? How about your uh, your your big Doug Hay family holiday reunion? <laughs> it was great. It was yeah uh, it was, yeah yeah we had um, a lot of Katie's family in town for Christmas Day, and my mom as well. Uh, which was awesome. It was like overload, I think, on on gifts and and uh, excitement for all of us, probably, but um, especially Eliza. But but she did awesome, and and we just had a, a really good time. Oh, and then all good. of my dad's family came. It was like it was like two basically two weeks of between Eliza's birthday and then Christmas and after Christmas celebrations. It was basically two full weeks of people in town. So, nice. I'm, you know, I'm excited to get back to work here. I'm excited. Yeah, it does feel good to get back after that kind of stuff. How did your uh, How did your your structured family entertainment idea go? Where you'd have one event followed by another, followed by another. <laughs> it went pretty well. We, yeah. we actually didn't do a lot of the things that, oh, uh, okay. which which was good. Which kind of goes along with your your recommendation of just kind of being able to go with flow and you know. You weren't getting all so. mad and stewing whenever you guys were late for an activity or something? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> okay. But we did do, I played a bunch of disc golf and we went on some hikes and had a, had a good time. So Good. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's that's wonderful. Went to a play. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, should I ask what, what play? Or? <laughs> no, I'm blanking on the name of it, so don't <laughs> ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a Christmas play. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then so for New Year's... Uh, I don't know. You weren't here, right? You were. You were. I was driving back in a motorhome from Maryland okay. to Asheville on New Year's Day. Well, I don't know what uh, I don't know what New Year's Eve was like in Maryland, but we got a big ice storm here. Uh, ah, and uh, so everyone was gear- all geared up to go out for New Year's Eve, and around like five o'clock, we go outside, and there are cars just all over the roads, slipping everywhere. It was like <laughs> cr- it was really crazy. It came out of nowhere. Big ice storm. Um, and we were going to my cousin Paul and Lyle's house, um, my cousin's house, uh, and they live at the top of a hill, and, and they said they were out walking the dog, and every single car just slid down the road into the intersection that was coming there. So we decided not to go over there and had New Year's at home. But um, but they came over the next day, and we did something that I really want to make a an annual tradition because this was, this was really pretty cool. We sat around the table and got four pieces of paper. One had... At the top of it, 2018 resolutions. Another was 2018 predictions. So things that you think not necessarily going to happen to you, but just happen in the world mm-hmm. or happen to you. Um, 2017 reflections. And this is just kind of like big events that happen, you know, things maybe that happen to you, maybe to your family, like buying a house was one of them for us. Mm-hmm. And then 
uh, a peace out 2017 page where <laughs> where like all of the like bad things all the crap that happened in the news and all the like personally bad things you just write them all down and you can be done with them uh-huh nice and, and we like each took turns with each page and kind of went and shared our things it was like it was, it, was like, it was a really good way to like think back on 2017 and think forward to 2018 um, very cool i liked it did you guys was that an idea that came from somewhere uh, they it came from them. I have no idea where they got it. They didn't um, just make it up though. It was a, it was actual an actual thing. Yeah, I'm sure it's a thing that they saw somewhere. Very cool. Did you like burn the pages at the end or anything? The ones that we, were <laughs> sending off the the piece out 2017. We um we planned to burn. We didn't burn it because it was we were inside and I don't know. Just well, you better burn, watch but... out. It's gonna it might haunt you then, Doug. You gotta, I know. I, I know. picture we, a movie we... where we see that paper still still <laughs> intact and things no. bad things start happening. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to burn it. And uh, we actually said maybe we, next time we should write it on like toilet paper or something like that, and then like throw it <laughs> off a mountain, <laughs> throw it off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cool. I, I like that idea. I actually did myself uh, some reflection. I've never done that before. I, people always recommend like I review your year before you move on to the next one, rather than just focusing on setting goals. So that's a, that's a pretty good thing. We've talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. We talk about accountability and how. A lot of times with New Year's resolutions, there is zero accountability because if you don't remember to come look back, I mean, looking back at the end of the year isn't the only way to do this or the best way. If you have a, you want to create a new habit, you should kind of set up a, at least a weekly review and like make sure things are going the way they're supposed to so that there is that little bit of accountability. But so many New Year's resolutions get made and then they don't even get thought of again. Like we don't, even if it, it comes December 31st and we make new ones, a lot of people don't even remember what their other one was to acknowledge that, hey, that didn't, didn't work out. So I think it's really good. To at least re- review the year, and uh, I had never done that before. But on my motorhome trip, I uh, I actually wrote wrote down twenty five good things that not good things, but just significant things that happened in this year. And I was like, well, that was a whole lot you can get done in a year. So yeah, that's cool. I, I found that enjoyable. But I like I like your idea. I'm gonna ask you for those details again. Yeah. Next next New Year's. Absolutely happy to. We could we could have one for the for the nomad athlete team. Hey, there we go. Maybe. <laughs> All right, good. So, uh, what are we doing today, Doug? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna share a, a, a timely habit change um, clip from a from a, an academy module. Yes, and this is a good one. And I, in the early days of the academy, I recorded a few like solo uh, what are, what are my modules where they were you know long hour and a half, some maybe even maybe even two hours, I don't remember exactly, but long things about habit change and goal setting, and they're some of the best content in there. I don't know, I don't know how listenable it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I don't say so myself. Uh, no, but I mean, they, they, that was a time when I was really into this stuff, and uh, I wish I wish I still were that into this stuff, because it's, it's very valuable, and it was me kind of just going off for a long time about everything I had learned about how to change habits effectively, and uh that's that's what this is a clip from, and it's a, a decent length one. So I hope people enjoy this. It is a timely thing as for New Year's, as you mentioned. And uh, yeah, I just hope it helps people with making making changes. Yeah, I mean, we should probably set up what it is because we kind of jump right into it. Okay, set that up for us. Oh, why don't why don't you why don't you take the lead? <laughs> so I believe this specific clip is uh, is like five really important keys to creating habit change. This isn't a goal-setting workshop or something where you're going to, you know, we'll walk you through your goal. Uh, this sort of assumes you have something in mind you want to change. Also, a good a good reason to, to, you know, not be so hung up on 
the New Year's Day perfectionism because chances are, I mean, there's a unfortunately a decent chance that you've already started something and have already not done something you said you were going to do. Um, hopefully that's not the case, but if it is, then uh, this is just as useful because you can you can now approach that habit in a different way. And I would say this is sort of the you know we always talk about the the small steps approach to changing habits. To me, this is kind of the the long story that goes with that. Um, you know, you can you can give the short version, which is just take the smallest steps possible. But there are a lot of things you can do around uh, the way you're creating a change, such as picking a start date, picking an end date, um, you know, setting up accountability. All these different things you can do that will really, really increase the likelihood that your habit change actually lasts. And the more of them you can do, you don't have to do all of them, but the more of them you can add on to there, uh, you know, the more little things you'll have kind of in your corner that help help make your change last. That's perfect. Awesome. I'm glad you're pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, good. Well, uh, before we jump into it, I do want to, I meant to say this before we set it up, but um, uh, I want to give a shout out to the number of people who have tweeted at me that they finished the 2.018 challenge. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's been a bunch of them, a bunch of people who who took the challenge and, and like succeeded, made it through the 30 some days. Wow. That's very uh, impressive. Yeah, and uh, and so congrats to those people. Congratulations to everyone who did that. Yeah, I Doug went for a run yesterday. Hey, <laughs> not part of any news resolution. My dad's in town, and he said, "Hey, you want to go for a run?" And I said, "No, not really." And then he said, <laughs> "Come on, let's do it." And then I and then I did. So that's great. Um, Where'd you go? Did you drive to that new neighborhood? No, we went. We turned. So I knew that turning left out of my neighborhood gives you some nice roads, but he wanted to try going right to do some exploration and. Uh, Immediately, we we were dodging cars and like finding that there was no shoulders and it was terrible. So oh, today or next, we can't go now because it's kind of blustery and terrible outside. But soon, uh, when I go again, I'll be turning left instead of right. All right, that's good. <laughs> yeah, the correct direction anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's get to it. I'm looking forward to uh, to. This month specifically, but but this whole year, we do have a lot of good guests lined up, um, some of which I haven't even told you about yet, Doug, but some people who I've uh, have made some made some contact with who will be on our podcast in the next few weeks. Great. All right, good. So that'll be fun. Um, looking forward to this year and uh, grateful, as always, to have uh, people like people like you listening to this. Not you, Doug, but people to, to the listener listening to this. Absolutely. And someone like you to co-host it with, Doug. Oh, thank you. Of course. All right, let's get to it. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year's, if you're Doug. And uh, hope you enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. So let's get into the mechanics and how do you set yourself up for the biggest chance of success when you're trying to change or create habits. The framework that we want to work from that a lot of people entirely miss is that willpower is a finite and depletable resource. A lot of people have this idea that if they just try hard enough, they can create a change. Like without changing anything in their environment or really thinking about it, but just summon enough willpower, then they can change. And if they fail, then it's because you know it was their fault they didn't do a good enough job at using their willpower. That's really not how it works. And that kind of having a story like that in your head 
takes us down a bad road where we tell ourselves that we are bad at changing rather than just saying that we didn't go about it the right way this time. So the idea here is that willpower is a lot like a muscle, and this has been demonstrated scientifically that willpower gets used up. So when you when you call on it often or or frequently in a short period of time, especially if you're doing things that are extremely hard and require a lot of willpower, then it gets used up, and you physically do not have any left at some point once it's kind of reached its breaking point. So to ask yourself to keep doing something time and time again uh, is totally unreasonable if that willpower has run out, which it has been demonstrated to do. It can, however, just like a muscle, get stronger. So if you're using it sometimes, uh, doing things that are difficult, which is you know a good habit to be in now and then, giving a proper rest in between, letting that willpower regenerate, then you can become stronger. You can become better at making decisions and better at creating change in your life. So that's that's a huge distinction to make that a lot of people have not made. But we want to take it a step further here when we're talking specifically about creating new habits. And for that, I'd like to use the analogy of like a big cable of fibers, which is a lot like a muscle if you think about it. And think about every time you were using your willpower, you're doing something that is difficult for you to do, you have to work hard to get yourself in the state to do it, to go out and get that run in or whatever it is. When you do that, think of it as breaking down some of the fibers in this cable or muscle if you want. But every time you do a habit, every time you successfully do something that you're trying, the habit you're trying to create uh, or, or don't do the habit that you're trying to quit, that in some way adds to that cable, strengthens it, right? So you have these two forces happening in opposite directions. When you when you have to use a lot of willpower, you break it down. But every time you successfully do a habit, you start to add to this cable, right? So you so you can and the goal of course is to make this cable really thick and strong so that it won't break. Because if you if you use too much of your willpower, if you if you're not reinforcing the habit very well, but putting a lot of effort forth to get it done, you're breaking it down and eventually it'll snap and there'll be nothing left and that's that's the failure point. That's when you're done, you've you've lost this habit, you you quit, you don't try to do it anymore. So just kind of keep that analogy in mind. This this race between how many times can we do the habit successfully before our willpower runs out or can we get to the point where we're doing the habit becomes easier and easier and doesn't take willpower. If you can get to there, then you're good. So our tendency, just as a culture, and I, I think this is probably true for everyone, even those who are pretty good at habit change, is we want to do too much too soon. So we we get motivated to, especially around New Year's, to make a change in our lives. And often that motivation gets us excited, makes us want to make more changes. So what might start as a plan to lose a little bit of weight suddenly turns into a plan to also go to the gym and also run a marathon and also eat a whole lot better and also quit drinking coffee and also quit drinking alcohol and also meditate and all these different things we start to add on top. And we want to make all these changes at once when we get inspired to change. And that, trying to change too much and too fast, is really the underlying cause of so much of the reason that we think it's hard to change, that we have this story in our head that we're bad at creating changes. So the the underlying theme of what I'm going to talk about is patience, that, that you can take on less and take it on slower and be way more likely to succeed than if you go 
all in, cold turkey, whatever you want to call it, where you're just trying to make tons of changes at once. So let's get into these. And really, there are like five big keys, five things that I think really make a tremendous difference. And then there are another handful, five or seven more pointers, the ideas that you can you can take, you know, pick and choose, take the things that seem like they work well for you. With habit change, it's good to get as much of this as you possibly can, uh, as many things working for you as possible. But if you can get these big five, I think that's I think that's 85% of of the way there. And uh, if if you're new to this type of thing, then I would say start with that before you try to add too much other stuff. So, the first key is that you you have to want to change. You have to really deep down want or even feel a need to change. Uh, Doug on our podcast the other day asked me about what I think about people who around New Year's uh, want to stop doing something, let's say drinking alcohol, and go all out one more time before they stop. And my answer to that is that if you have a desire to go all out one more time before you stop, then then you're not ready to change. And I mean, I, I think that, I don't know, I'm not trying to, to be a tough guy here and say that, 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 no, you can't have any fun, you can't do one more going all out. But to me, that's just a sign that, like, it's not going to work. You have to be at the point where where you you badly want to change because if you don't then then you're not you're very very unlikely to succeed in the long run. So you have to have that really strong desire to change and if if on a gut level you still want to have that last night of whatever it is that you're trying to give up or that last day of whatever it is you're trying to give up then then you haven't associated enough pain to what it is. If you're ready to change then you don't want that final time, right? You're you're done and you're you're tired of whatever it is and you don't want another another time doing it and all the consequences that come with it so that's the first one is and it's probably the hardest one is get yourself to where you really really want to change how can you do this if you don't if you don't want to like if someone else wants you to change well that's certainly a lot harder than if you yourself want to change but you can do some things i mean you can for example when i went uh when i was vegetarian and wanted to become vegan but didn't really want to become vegan like i didn't i didn't want to actually give up the cheese and whatever else I I knew that on some level I wanted to, so I would make myself watch documentaries like Earthlings, which a lot of people have probably heard of, a very, very graphic movie about animal cruelty, and getting, you know, getting, eating cheese associated with those type of images did a lot to change how I felt about it, and change on the gut level if I actually wanted to be consuming cheese anymore. So that's, that's just... One example, but I think it's a good one. Uh, smoking, similarly, I've heard a lot of people who will, will go visit like the the lung cancer area of the hospital, or or just look at pictures online if you're not going to go to that extent, but just see what it does. And and some of these graphic sort of emotional pictures, or read an emotional story, you know, an account of someone who's a parent perhaps who who you know got lung cancer from smoking and died early or something. But get get that really strong emotional connection to to this need to change i think that's very very important and uh, something that a lot of people skip entirely so that's that's number one number two is kind of related and, and also very much tied in with the have patience theme and that's not to start immediately i know a lot of times when we when we want to make a change when we get inspired to make a change we've because we've seen it in movies read about it in books or whatever we have this idea that that change just happens and and you get inspired and suddenly a switch is flipped and you're never going to 
partake in some sort of behavior again, or you're always going to partake in some sort of good positive behavior for now on. And that something happens, a switch just flips is a, is a really good analogy there. Uh, unfortunately, that's, that's not really true. I mean, it does happen in some cases, but the problem is when you try to do that and it fails, and you try it again and it fails, you eventually train your brain that when you make a commitment to start something or stop something or whatever it is, that commitment doesn't mean very much, right? Because it's very easy to fail a couple times at trying to lose weight. And then, you know, when you get inspired every few months to say, okay, starting today, I'm on this diet and, you know, everything's going to be different from now on. And then that exact same day, you don't even make it a full day before you cave because you haven't planned for it. But more importantly than that, you haven't trained your brain to associate importance to this because you've tried this so many times and quit so many times that your brain just thinks, okay, it's another another change attempt, not a really big deal. So the way to reverse that, and this is where some patience comes in, is to actually have a start date or a quit date, depending on what type of habit you're you're changing. But set that date a few days from when the decision is. So if you're listening to this and after this seminar you were inspired to make some sort of change, I know this isn't the most probably the most uh, common type of advice, but but I wouldn't suggest just immediately making that change. I would say instead pull out a calendar, look I don't know three days a week maybe down the road, and make a big mark on that calendar, circle that day, and say this is the day when this change begins. What that does, first of all, gets your brain to associate importance to it. So now there's this anticipation that builds because each day you're one day closer to that. So hopefully some positive anticipation and excitement builds, uh, especially if you're at the point where you really want to change. Then, you know, the the activity that you want to change, hopefully you're kind of moving in that direction already during those next few days. But you're not officially starting until you hit that start date or you're not officially quitting until you hit that quit date. It creates that feeling of importance. That's a good one so that your brain doesn't just think, oh, this is just another try. It, It just starts to feel like this is a pretty big deal because we had this waiting period and I don't want to screw up. So you get a little more willpower working for you then. And the other thing it does is it allows you the time to actually plan. Because once you've started to make your change, it's not that easy to do the planning. For some certain habits it is, but sometimes putting forth the effort, say, to eat better. Let's say you're changing your diet. Let's say you want to become vegetarian or become vegan, uh, and you've already started well, that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of ongoing effort when you're brand new to it. So to also have to plan it during this phase once you've started, when you've already got extra preparation time for meals and extra meal planning time and all this stuff is really difficult. So having a little gap between when you've decided that you're making this change and when this change actually starts gives you time to do the planning. And that planning could be specific to the habit that you're trying to change, things that I won't be able to talk about here because it's, you know, who knows what what habit you're trying to change but also some general things. So I'll I'll talk about the idea of building accountability, getting someone else involved, a partner or a coach, or even someone who's just going to watch your progress and, and, you know, kind of, kind of give you hell when you don't do it, uh, to recruit that person and get that person on board. Other things you'll be able to do too. Uh, we'll talk about those in a little bit, but you can do those during this time. So that's step two is don't start immediately. Have a little gap between now and the start date. If you haven't been listening to this on December 31st, you know, still, we're good. Use New Year's as a time to think about change. I think that's that's what it's good for. Use it to think about change, think about goals, think about habits. But there's nothing special about New Year's, about 
in this new year, I have a clean, fresh start, and I'm not going to screw it up by, you know, going the first four days of January before I start my habit. I think that type of thinking is not good. You don't you don't want to get into this idea that because there's a new day on the a new calendar year that suddenly it's easier to change. It's not. But it's good to use the time to think about changes. So that's what I'm suggesting you do. If you're if you're listening to this around New Year's, fantastic. But don't think that starting something on January 4th or 3rd is any different than starting on the 1st. It doesn't matter. So those are kind of the before you start things, the, the, the prerequisite type things. Then comes the actual actions. And a huge one here, I kind of alluded to the problem here, was choosing a lot of things to change at once especially at first, when you're new to changing habits in this manner. Change one thing at a time. It's really, really hard. I understand that completely. I've made the mistake many times of trying to change my whole life at once, and it almost never has worked. I mean, I say almost because certain, if I pick 10 things that I'm changing, sure, maybe one of them does stick for a little longer than the other ones. But for the most part, it leads to the feeling of a whole lot of failure because the other nine didn't work out. So you don't want that. At first, pick one change at a time, and how do you choose that change? I would say pick the one that is going to be most impactful on your life. Um, I mean, uh, there are a couple other strategies you could use in choosing it. You could you could choose the one that's most exciting for you because chances are if it's exciting, if it's fun, if it's not something that you're dreading, uh, basically if you want to make the change, then you're more likely to succeed, and you want to get that that this spiral of success happening. You want this snowball effect of, of changing that picture that says I am bad at habit change into one that says I'm good at habit change. And if you pick a habit you're, for your first one that that is something you're going to enjoy changing and something that's going to be fairly easy to change, then that's that's a great start. That's a way to build some momentum. The, what I was saying, though, pick the one that's going to have the most impact on your life. I think a lot of times that is going to be the one that is easiest for you or is going to be the one that that brings you the most enjoyment but it's not always let's say you had a habit that of of watching television that occupied two hours of your evening that you came home from work you ate dinner quickly and then you watch tv or you watch tv while you eat dinner and tv and especially mindless tv occupies two to three hours of your night well if you can quit that tv habit suddenly you have two to three hours of time every single night that that you can use for whatever you want. And that's how you can really get this snowball effect going. If you can get, and I would imagine that quitting a two to three hour a day TV habit is not a simple one to quit for sure. But if you could succeed at that, then you've got all this space in your evening to start doing other stuff. And and so if you can successfully quit that thing, maybe two or three weeks later, you can start adding other stuff in and start building these positive habits then too. And to me, that's really exciting. This opportunity that you might be able to make six or eight or ten changes in the next six months and that's that's pretty amazing when you can do that so pick either one that's really exciting or one that seems sort of easy and pleasant to change uh, or one that's that like the tv example is going to have a really large impact on your life now i should be honest here and say that i still struggle with this one i still get inspired to make a whole bunch of changes at one time and uh you know i'd be lying if i said that i didn't ever attempt it what i found that helps me a lot that helps me, helps basically helps me convince myself to just go for one thing at a time, is to list out every habit I could possibly imagine changing. And it's not hard to come up with 20 of them sometimes. Uh, and I consider my my life in pretty good shape. But I'm just so into this idea of improving and and 
making changes that uh, it's, you know, I feel like I always have a list of 10 to 20 things that I'd love to change, habits that I would like to change. So what I do is list them all out and then put some sort of schedule. I pick one a month and just list out for the next year. Here's the habit I'm going to change in January. Here's the one, you know, based on that January choice that I'm going to change in February. And a lot of times they can go together or the order will will depend on which ones you've chosen first. Uh, Like the TV example, how the one thing helps the other ones to happen. But list them all out, one a month. One a month, I think, is a reasonable amount to change. It's If you're really good at this habit to change stuff, you could probably do more than that eventually. But at first, I would say one a month is plenty. But what I found is just seeing them on a list helps a lot with this sense of I've got to change all this stuff because you, you see that it's there. You can even post it by your desk or wherever it is that you spend a lot of time, and you can see that this is the schedule. It does a few things for you. First of all, it, it kind of soothes that that urge, that need to want to change all this stuff at once because you see that it's scheduled. You're not worried about forgetting it. You see that it's planned, that it's going to happen, so it's okay that it's not happening now. The other thing it does is that it provides a little added excitement and motivation to make the changes that are at the beginning. So if you're on your first change, your January change, if you're starting at the beginning of a year, and maybe it's one that's sort of difficult. Let's go back to the TV example. I think that's a good one. You're not that excited about giving up TV. It's hard to do and it's difficult, but the habit that you have in place for February is to start playing the guitar. Maybe you used to play guitar and you want to pick that up again and practice it and you're going to use a half hour or an hour of that TV time, former TV time, for this guitar habit. Well, suddenly you have a, a new reason to be motivated when this habit gets difficult. And as I said earlier, it's good to have as many possible things tugging you in the right direction as you can. So this is one more, and we'll get to a bunch more in a minute. But but if, if your February habit or your habit for the next month is one that's tugging you and saying, don't screw up, don't screw up now because you've got me right down the road here, that's going to help you. So that's why I like that a lot. That brings me to step number four, crucial step number four, and that's to start one step at a time. Very, very small steps. Could be in a literal sense with something like running, although I guess it's not literal because we're not really taking just one step. But going out for a run for two or five minutes is totally reasonable as a, a first small step for habit change. That's the the magnitude when I, I'm talking about when I say start with small steps. So it's very easy to measure steps in time for those sorts of habits. So so there, it's a, a good example uh, is, is the type of habit that you can measure in time. Something like running is perfect. If you let's say you can let's say you've run for ten or twenty or thirty minutes at a time before in the past, and you'd like to get restarted. Honestly, I think two minutes is is a great way to start. Five minutes works just well, just fine too. For meditation, the only time in my life that I ever succeeded in building this habit was when I started at two minutes at a time. I had read in all these different books about Zen and everything else that meditation should be between twenty and forty minutes usually, and when I tried to do that, it would last for a few days, but eventually I'd fail because this willpower problem would happen. I would run out of willpower. There'd be a day when it was hectic and things just didn't line up the way I had hoped. I would fail to get my meditation in that day because it felt like this big chunk of time I had to commit to and a hard thing to do for that amount of time. And then this perfectionist mindset of I have to do this every single day for this amount of time or I have failed, that set in. So one day led to two days, led to three days, led to four days, and then the habit was gone. When I got it to finally stick, it was because I started with two minutes. And I stuck with two minutes, set a little timer next to myself, and it would feel like you know no time passed at all, but it was this pleasant little 
two minute gap in my day. So instead of being this hard thing I had to get to and had to carve out time for, it was something that I could just go do at some point and there wasn't any resistance at all. It was two minutes. It was simple to do this thing. So after doing that for a week straight, and this was through Leo Babalta's from Zen Habits, his uh, his Sea Change program, which is a great program, by the way. Uh, it was through that. And I think on the second week, after having succeeded for seven straight days at two minutes, I upped it to three or four minutes. I'm not sure which one it was. After I succeeded at a week of three or four minutes, I went up to seven minutes and so on. And, and eventually, as you get better at it and as you're doing longer time, you can your increments that you're jumping can can become larger, right? They could maybe stay the same percentage, but they become larger jumps. So if it was a running example and you're running for for 30 minutes at some point, you don't have to go to 31 or 32 minutes the next week. You can go to 35, say. Uh, there's a 10% rule with running, but you've got to think about that a little bit. You don't want to increase mileage by more than 10% a week, but I'm getting off track there. But the point is very, very, very small steps. And I know, again, this is patience. It's really hard to to watch yourself doing this, like especially with something like weight loss or running, where you expect that you put in the work at first, and after a while you start to see the benefits. This approach, the problem with it, what makes it hard to to adopt really, is that you don't get to see the physical benefits or feel the physical benefits as soon as you would with the other approach, right? So if you if you go out of the gate and you're running or going to the gym or whatever it is for half hour or 45 minutes every single day, then sure, after two weeks of that, you're probably going to be seeing some sort of result. And you'd better be seeing some sort of result because the problem then is that you've got this this willpower problem. Trying to do something, that this brand new activity with a lot of intensity every single day for something like 30 or 45 minutes right away, that's going to be a willpower drain. I mean, no two ways about it. That's going to be a really hard thing to do. So the only chance you have of that working is if, the, if you do see the results pretty quickly and you know, your willpower is hanging in there and you're seeing results and you're starting to feel good and the habit itself is getting easier. I mean, yeah, it can happen, but you're so much more likely to succeed if you can set aside the need to see those physical benefits in exchange for basically making it easier to do every time because you don't have to summon up all this energy to go work out for 30 or 45 minutes. At the beginning, you're talking about two or five minutes. It's very easy to build a nice long streak that way. And what happens is mentally you're improving. This habit is getting formed, and there is a habit loop, and I'll talk about that in a minute, that is being formed in your brain every time you go out and do that. It's getting stronger. Think of that cable that I mentioned earlier, more and more fibers being added to it. So the habit's getting stronger. The problem is you don't see yourself losing weight or feeling stronger yet or or feeling less winded when you're running because you're only going for a few minutes at a time. You're developing the habit, and you're doing that instead of choosing to focus on looking for those physical rewards. But get that habit really solid. It might take two or three weeks longer before you start to see the results that you would have the other way. But the habit is so much more solid and you're so much less likely to quit along the way to get there because you avoid that big resistance period where it's really hard to go for the first three or four weeks when you're when you're adding this huge new thing at one time. In the case of something like diet, like switching to a vegetarian or vegan diet, uh, it's not quite as easy to, to talk about a small steps approach in the same context of two minutes at first or five minutes at first because we don't eat in that sort of manner in terms of minutes. The way that I did this when I went vegetarian, and I didn't really realize this is what I was doing, but what I first did was gave up four-legged animals. I stopped eating cows and pigs, and I stayed that way for like a year, really not intending to go further, but was just happy to not eat those animals. Eventually, I got to the point when I wanted to do more that wasn't 
satisfactory to me. I wanted to stop eating birds and fish and basically all animals. So what I did as a next step was stop eating birds and still kept eating fish for a little while. I think I went a month like that, and then I phased up the fish. And then it took me two more years after that to become vegan. So that was how I did small steps to becoming vegetarian or vegan. Uh, it's That might work for you. It might not work for you. It takes That took a really long time for me. And so honestly, I can't speak from experience about how something like that would work if you sped it up to, say, one week at each stage instead of a year at the first stage like I did. But more commonly, when I get questions like this, I get they're from people who are trying to make a change. They and their spouse both work. They have kids. And getting food on the table for everyone is enough of a struggle as it is without having to do some big diet change. So they, they say, I you know, I tried the vegetarian or the vegan thing and it failed because it was just too much. We just couldn't get it done. And uh, that's, you know, that's a very clear example of taking on too much at once leads to failure. So rather than saying, on this day, our entire family's entire diet changes from here on out, a way to do a smaller step is to start with just one meal. So let's say for now on, breakfast is going to be vegan. It's going to be a smoothie. And you could even set a line and say, until 10 a.m., our family is eating vegan, uh, if that's what you want to do. And then you can move that line a half hour or an hour or whatever it is per per week or per two weeks or whatever feels right for you. But you can move that line and slowly let let vegan take over more of your day in that way. Another way to do it would be to, to do the something like meatless Monday, or it doesn't have to be Monday at all, but just pick a day where just this one day of the week our family is going to eat this certain way. And what that does is lets you First of all, you get that anticipation period every single week. And I mentioned before, why not starting a habit right away is is a good thing. You get to you get to have this anticipation, this chance to plan. Well, if you just have one vegetarian or vegan day per week for your entire family, then that day can become the focus of the days before it. And you can make sure that you do the extra time that it takes to plan this to eat this way or to do the different shopping that you'd have to do or whatever it is. But it, it just lessens the, the impact, lessens the, the willpower problem at the beginning because it's not a huge sudden change at once. Now, with these habits, tr- the everyday thing is really good. I, I love having the everyday things. It really You want to get as many instances of the habit into your head as possible, like to strengthen that cable that I talked about. So just changing one day a week probably isn't ideal. If I were going to try something, the first thing I would try in the situation would be the the start the breakfast vegan and then slowly move the line throughout the day where after this point, it's okay not to be vegan or vegetarian, whatever you're doing. But until then, our family is going to do that. Uh, I think think that because of the everyday nature of that is going to be more stronger, that habit's going to become stronger that way than it is starting with just like a full day each week because you don't get that everyday reinforcing effect. And one more example from my own life of the power of starting with small steps just to demonstrate that it really can quickly accumulate and become something much larger. Uh, When I I ran my 100-miler back in 2013, it was my first 100-miler. When I started the training for that, was in 2012, about almost exactly a year before the race in July of 2013. And I had not been running very much at all. I had done a marathon like, I don't know, three or four months before this, but I had hit after that. And even, even that marathon was run during one of the lowest running lows of my life. I just did not feel excited. I had failed at a hundred miler before, not that I had gone and tried to run it, but I had signed up for one, announced that I was doing it. And 
never even started the, the training. Didn't do one single run for it because it was just an overwhelming thing and I was just in a place where I just couldn't imagine running that far and training as much as it would require to do that. So I was in this very low place and I was into this habit change idea and not started doing one habit a month, changing one little thing in my life. Meditation was the first one, as I mentioned. But after like three or four months of this, I decided to start running and get back into running. And I didn't know how to start. Nothing was really exciting to me. I knew that I still wanted to run a 100-miler, that it was just this thing I had to do at some point. But I had no plans of really doing it right now. And I said, I'm just going to do the everyday thing with running. I'm going to start running every single day. And I had run a marathon three or four months ago. So for me to go out and do a 20-minute run felt like nothing. It felt like, you know, why am I doing this? What like what good is 20 minutes of running going to get me? Uh, most of my runs, you know, we're going to be 40 minutes minimum at that point. But I wasn't running at all. So I just said, I'm going to start where it's really easy. Start at 20 minutes, and I'm going to go do that every single day. And by the way, this is the first time I ever started running for time instead of mileage because I didn't want to have any sort of goal associated with it. I didn't want to have to get a certain distance. It was just go out past the time for 20 minutes. If you have to walk for some of it, fine, but put on some headphones, listen to something good, just run for 20 minutes, and that's a success. So I did it, did it for a week. Once I was back into running, really, it only took a week before I felt like, okay, I'm back into running now because I've run every day for a week. I upped it to 25 minutes. Next week, I made it 30 minutes and so on up to I was eventually doing 70 minutes every single day and that's where I peaked and I, I think my streak went for 75 days but the point of this is not that that I did this 75 day running streak which was a cool thing kind of got me back into running the point is that that became the base training for my 100 miler and I just didn't really expect that it was going to be that at all but I, I got that 75 days of running entirely easy runs by the way so it was never any sort of exertion just easy stuff Turned out that was a fantastic base to begin ultramarathon training. I ran easy for a few months after that streak was over, then committed to a six-month training program, and six months later had run that 100-miler without really any issues at all. The amount of mileage I had to do was more than I'd ever done before, a 50-miler, a 50K in the training, and it just went all so smoothly that, that you know, I, I'm, can't, I'm, I can't believe that it all went that well. And it started from, from 20 minutes a day, every single day, so, you know, I don't know if 20 minutes to you, depending on where you are, seems like a lot of running or a little bit. For me at that time, it was a very, very little bit. And so the, the story is just to demonstrate that, you know, a, a little tiny bit, it doesn't really even take that long for it to accumulate. A little, going from zero to running a hundred miler in a year, that's a pretty quick time frame. And it, and it happened because I started with small steps. So I hope you can take that as motivation and, uh, and you know, and under, believe me that, that starting small can very quickly lead to whatever the goal is that you're trying to do yourself. All right. So I've given you four big pointers so far. The first one was really want to change, right? Have, have a way, if you don't really want or really need to change already, if you don't feel a really strong emotional pull, then do what it takes to increase that. And I don't know what that's going to be, but do whatever it takes to increase the amount of emotion you have towards changing, where you really, really want to or even need to do this. Next was have a little bit of a gap between when you decide you're going to change, when you really decide it and start the planning, and when you actually create the change, when, when it starts or when you quit, depending on whether you're trying to start something new or stop something old. After that, one habit at a time. And one thing that I didn't mention there is just to help you grasp that and and understand that that it's okay to change in that small amount at a time rather than you know the thing that so many of us including myself do which is wanting to change all these things at once just imagine that you could do it one habit per month 
do that for three years, that amounts to 36 habit changes. It's hard to think of 36 habit changes that you'd like to make. So, you know, three years is plenty of time basically to make yourself a new person if that is your goal. 36 habits that you designed, chose the way you wanted to rather than things that you fell into or that someone else chose for you. I mean, that's how you create the the person and the life that you want. So don't feel like just changing one thing at a time means you're not going to be able to get anywhere. I mean, we all know how quickly a year or two or three years go by. So to be able to look back at that point and say, I made a change every single month for 36 months and here I am. To me, that demonstrates the power of this and also that one change a month is plenty. Okay, and that brings me to the fifth and final key in this first section of the the 85%, the the most of the stuff that you need to do in creating changes, the thing the 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 low-hanging fruit as they say. And that is to put some sort of accountability system into place. What I mean here isn't quite the same as having an accountability partner. Mainly here I mean a personal check-in where Every single day, ideally, probably at the end of the day, could be a little journaling, could be something where you literally go in and answer one question, but you sit down with pen and paper or on your computer and you answer the question, did I do what I was supposed to do today? It seems like a very, very small thing. I understand that, especially if you're already marking on a sheet as soon as you finish your habit as a form of reward that says, yes, I did this, like checking off a box for this day. It seems extra, but you need at the end of the day to face this question and it needs to be part of your routine. If it's not, then you'll forget to do it. And then what happens is you miss your habit. There's no later at any sort of mental penalty. You don't feel, you don't face any consequence in your head for missing it. And that leads to another miss and another miss and another miss. So the thing is to check in every single day so that if you do miss it, there's a question of, did I do what I was supposed to do today? And the answer is no. For me, that makes it pretty likely that I'm going to go back there and do it tomorrow. So add in something like that. The simplest form would just be before you go to bed, look at a sheet of paper, maybe some sort of little book you keep by your bed that says, did I do what I was supposed to do today, yes or no? Or maybe it's just a list of blanks for each day and you either write a check or an X. That tiny little thing is enough to keep things going and I think you need to have something like that in place. So that's the fifth step. Put something in place that is a personal accountability system.